um, the passage that we have in Jeremiah 31 and verses 31 to 34. And if you have a one of these biggish Bibles, it's on page 660. Each new generation of the iPhone is new in the sense that it's both more recent and better. But even though they're new, they're, they're still iPhones. Each one that comes out is still an iPhone. It's built with the same purpose. It's got the same goal in mind. It's got the same fundamental features and it's got the same fundamental design. They're new and improved, but it's the same chain of phones. We have something similar with the word covenant in the Bible. That word is one of the most important words in all of Scripture, coming up again and again, linking everything together. And it's more and more explained each time. But here, in our passage this morning, we have this mention of a new covenant. And that grabs our attention. What was the old one? What's this new one? And what's the difference? This morning, I want us to look at two big things. The big problem and the big promise. And then we'll break down the, that second point a little bit further. But first of all, I just want to look at the big problem. Committed relationships are a precious and a beautiful thing. Something that humanity, that we highly value in life. We love a good romantic story with a happy ending. We love great stories of loyalty and sacrifice and commitment. Generally, we understand that these attributes are, are rare and precious and highly sought after. We desire that level of commitment. Well, we find that throughout the Bible, God enters into committed relationship with His people. From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the very beginning of life, God reaches across the infinite distance between Himself, this eternal and infinite God who is not bound by time, exists at all points of time simultaneously. He stretches and reaches across that infinite distance between himself and his creation. And he does it by forging a relationship that goes by the name covenant. Now a covenant is a special, committed relationship that God sets up, promises, and guarantees. 
by his word. And so, throughout the big storyline of scripture, as we read it from beginning to end, you've got Adam. Then you've got this character, Abraham. And then you have this character, Moses. And each time he covenant promises the fundamental same thing. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. After the exodus which is mentioned here in our passage, where God freed his people from slavery and freed them to be his people again. He declared his law to them on a mountain called Mount Sinai through Moses. This is what many people call the Old Covenant or the Mosaic, the Moses Covenant. And it was a renewal of that big picture, covenant, committed relationship between God and his people. And the laws and the commands of the old covenant done on this mountain were good laws. They were good commands. They were great laws. They were great commands. They were laws fundamentally that had been found in Genesis, the book, way before that point. There were laws that were written on our hearts from day one. But here on Mount Sinai, they were written on two tablets of stone as a renewal of that relationship. But there was just one problem with the Old Covenant. It wasn't the laws. It wasn't the commands. There was one problem with the old covenant. And that was us. And sin. Over and over again. After God displays his power. His people rebel and break his law. And the judgment and the condemnation that they get is just and fair. The old covenant itself didn't fail. Rather, God's own people fail. That's the big message, actually, of Jeremiah's book here today. And he summarizes it here in verse 32. At the end there of verse 32. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. It was always... A love relationship. We've got this often in society, this picture in our head that the Old Testament was a harsh, unloving God. So different to the New Testament. No, far from it. It was always a love relationship. Not a harsh one. But we betrayed that love We rejected that love. We broke the marriage vows. And like any of us would or should be, God was rightly angry for their adultery, for their sinfulness, for their cheating on him. 
And he was heartbroken over their betrayal. And with that, well, the story of Israel and Judah at this time is that judgment came in the year 587 when the superpower of the time, Babylon, swept in and destroyed the great city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and took the people away into slavery. And it would be their own fault. Jeremiah 4 verse 18 says, Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. And it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. After all, that's the problem. That was the problem. The problem was their hearts. And the problem is our hearts. Because we are no better than they were back then, you and me. We break God's law day after day, over and over. Angry, cruel words. Selfish Greedy hearts, hateful, murderous thoughts, lustful looks and actions and thoughts, lying tongues, not worshipping God as we ought to be, and not directing our whole lives toward Him as we ought to be. We're no better. We too are covenant breakers. Our past is marked by an absolute failure to keep God's law. And so, against this backdrop of a universal human problem, a problem we can see all over the world, in every tribe and tongue, in every people, God declares into this backdrop... He declares a new thing. I, I, he says, will make a new covenant. Verse 31 there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The newness is necessary, not because the old covenant failed, but because we fail. We need something new. And so God gives us a big promise. Anyone who saw the first um, Star Wars film in 1977, I confess, I was not around. They knew it by just one name. Star Wars. But because it became so popular... And more films were needed to be made. In 1981, four years later, they re-released the first film and changed its name to what we know it as now, Star Wars, A New Hope. The phrase, New Covenant, is God's new re-release of His covenant promise. And he gave it for a people who, like I said, were about to be judged. This is before they were taken away in slavery by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They were about to be judged. But before this, he gives them this promise. 
before they are defeated, taken to exile and slavery because of their sin, he gives a new promise to give them a new hope. The days are coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So absolutely, first of all, we need to remember that it's this covenant is part of the same woven thread of covenant promise that stretches from the beginning to now and to the end. It's the same fundamental covenant promise given to Adam and to Abraham and to Moses and to David and so on. It still, like it did then, involves God's people. It still emphasizes obedience to God and His character and His law. And in the end, you get the same repeated line. I will be their God and they will be my people. But there is something new here. There is continuity, but there's something new. Because if the problem with a special relationship is, is continually breaking it, is us continually breaking that relationship, then God is saying that He is going to address that problem. He's going to address the problem of us continually breaking His covenant, His relationship, His laws. He's going to cure the fundamental problem of human sin and of fundamental brokenness. In a way that will astound us all. Yes, okay, after 70 years, if you know anything of the Old Testament, if you know anything of the history of these people, the people of Israel would get back from Babylon. But that's not the real hope of the new covenant that Jeremiah is here. No, this promise... Verse 31 to 34 will ultimately be fulfilled in a day that's coming through one man who will come back and buy back and transform his people. And so we have what we're doing today. And in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus and his followers sat together for what is often called the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. In Luke 22, Jesus took the bread and took the wine. We can read verse um, Luke 22, verse 19 to 20, to 20. Verse 19 and 20. Page 882. This is what Jesus said. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, <coughs> This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Surely, when his followers heard these words, surely the words of Jeremiah flooded into their ears. New covenant. This it. This is what we've been waiting for. He is later that night betrayed by one of his followers. He's put on a show trial where he is seen to be innocent, but he's found guilty anyway. And he is crucified on a cross. How was God in Jeremiah 31 going to establish a new covenant? He sends his son, Jesus, the one promised all the way back in Genesis 3. And his body is given and his blood is shed to establish the new covenant. His death secures, it ratifies, it approves, it seals, it confirms God's covenant promises for any who identify a living relationship with this Jesus Christ. This was God's plan all along. This new and improved covenant was the plan from the very beginning and beyond. He was always planning on sending his son to secure this promise for his people. To guarantee this promise for his people. So what are then the new and improved things that Jesus has therefore sealed and secured for his people? What has he won for his people? What does he guarantee for those undeserving people who are covered by nothing but the blood of Jesus? Well, here are four promised realities given to us in this passage. One, and this is at the end of, well, it's verse 32 in, in general. The covenant will be unbreakable. God says, verse 32, this covenant won't be like the old one. It is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, so on and so forth. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. It's not going to be like the covenant that they broke. It's going to be unbreakable. The people had kept on breaking the old one. Humanity has a history of letting God down and losing his favor and getting cursed. But this one, this new covenant secured by Jesus will be unbreakable. 
Again and again, God uses the word I in this passage. I will do this. I will make this. I will write this. The keeping of the covenant isn't and wasn't down to us this time. Jesus, perfectly obedient, keeps the law when we couldn't and keeps the law for those who are united to him by faith. Those who find their identity in Christ, which is the New Testament's favorite way of describing the Christian. It's not the word Christian, it's in Christ. That's who we are. If we have a relationship with Christ, we're in Christ. Our identity is in Him. And it's for those who trust in Him. Not themselves, not ourselves. And God counts his obedience as our obedience. We sang before the throne where God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And those who trust in Jesus are now being guarded by God's power for their future and their future salvation into glory. No one can pluck those who are in Christ. No one can pluck the Christian out of his hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even as we are here this morning, sitting in our own brokenness, In Christ, we are unbreakable, untouchable, unlosable, because God takes the initiative. But while one is that the covenant will be unbreakable, secondly, he says the law will be internal. Look there in verse 33. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. You know, rather than writing the law on stones and scrolls and parchments and telling the people to, you know, learn this, memorize it, internalize it somehow. Instead, God will write it on their hearts. It's the same law as ever. It's the same law. But he will transform your will, your heart, and he will send the Holy Spirit to permanently dwell inside the believer. God himself will be with you, united to you, so that the obedience flows from the inside out. It's not external things happening. It's not do these things Follow these external rules and that will cleanse you in the inside. No, we shouldn't get deluded with external obedience. We can easily delude ourselves, fool ourselves into thinking that because we do something, because we come to church or give money or keep the Lord's Day or volunteer and try and be nice to people in some way. Because we do these things, we think we are all right. But our hearts are the problem. 
And they can be so very far away from God. And it's so easy to slip back into this thinking, even as a Christian. It's about the heart. Do you follow God and keep the law just because you're told to? Which isn't a terrible thing. But it won't, it won't save you. Or do you follow Jesus Christ because you want to and you love to? Because that's salvation. That's being born again with a new heart and a new desire, a new love. That's what people call regeneration. You are a new person. You are a new creation with a transformed heart. And we love because he first loved us. Thirdly, Firstly, it was the covenant will be unbreakable. Secondly, the law will be internal. Thirdly, the relationship will be personal. That's always been the essence, the core, the key of God's covenant. It's always been the goal of the promises. What's the point in covenant? It's to bring unity. Between us and God. To bring us into relationship with Him. That's why the covenant of marriage is so sacred and precious. It's a picture of that unity. It's a picture of that intimacy. That relationship bond. And He says to them, I will be their God. End of verse 33. And they shall be my people. He's reminding them of his everlasting love. His continuing faithfulness. And then you have this kind of strange stuff at the beginning of verse 34 where it goes, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. It's beyond mere knowing of facts. It's not enough just to know the facts intellectually in your mind. It's so much more. It is an inner commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just what family you're in. Or what family you grew up in. Or what community and people you grew up in. It's not who comes to church and learns the right things. You must come into a living relationship, a loving knowledge of the one who loved you first. And finally, verse 34, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. The covenant will be unbreakable. The law will be internal. The relationship will be personal. And finally, the forgiveness will be full and free. 
God will remember their sin no more. Which means God isn't some divinely forgetful, but instead it means that He won't call your sin back to His mind with a view to act on it. He's not going to bring an action about because of your sin. He's not going to remember or act on your sin no more. All the covenanting, all the failure, all the sin, all your brokenness, no more. A full and free forgiveness. This covenant is new because it's final. Later on in chapter 50, he's going to say, In those days, search will be made for Israel's guilt, and there will be None. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was a constant stream of animal sacrifices, but animals can't pay the price of our sin to an infinite God. They just passed it over, pointing forward to a future sacrifice. Absolutely, forgiveness was offered and available in the Old Testament. But only as God's people back then looked through the shadows and they clung to the future promise. Those who looked forward to the Redeemer, the One, the Savior to come. But Jeremiah is promising a day that will accomplish this forgiveness. It will be bought fully, past, present, and future. I mean, this is an act that happened. Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. On that day, all your sins were future sins. And they were all paid for if you have come to Christ on that day. So now, yes, you have past sins and present sins, but all your sins were dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Fully paid for. That day, that cross for us has already come. And we now look back to Jesus, remembering what he has done. The one who won us that full and free forgiveness. Now, one of the reasons that we still read and enjoy the Old Testament is because it is a history book of how unreliable we are. It's a history book of how unable human beings are to save themselves if we want to be made right To be able to stand accepted and loved and forgiven by God. Then we must trust in Jesus alone and stand in his identity as a loved son. Who has already paid the full price. And God will look at his children covered by the blood of Jesus. And they will be adopted into his family. We must trust in Jesus alone. But we also still read. 
and enjoy the Old Testament and its promises. Because the full reality of this promise and prophecy and all the promises of the Old Testament when it talks about the promised land, this home that will be the home of God's people forevermore. The full reality of those promises is still to come. For now, you and I still have the pains of this world and the presence of sin in our lives. And we are often broken. We are all broken. And that makes remembering and enjoying these four promises often very hard sometimes. But the Christian is living in the wedding day. I don't know what weddings are like for you. But the weddings that I'm used to, you have a service in the early afternoon where you are in the company of witnesses and you make the vows and it is blessed and it is sealed. The married couple is married at that point. The vows have been made. The couple is married. But the wedding celebration, the dinner, the feast, the buffet is yet to come. That's coming later on that night. And then you have a few hours maybe mulling around, waiting around before the dinner that evening to celebrate. We are living in that gap when the vows have been sealed, the covenant has already been secured. Jesus has already won. But we are waiting patiently for the feast to come. In that gap, may we work for God's glory. May we witness for God's glory. May we worship in God's glory as we patiently wait for the celebration, for the feast, for the party to come. 